Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to episode six of the Red Seat Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Matt Collins of BP Boston and Over the Monster. Matt, how's it going, man? It's going all right. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Um, pretty pumped that the Red Sox uh, climbed back into uh, the game tonight. Um, as we're recording this, it's Monday as usual. Um, pretty tough-looking pitching matchup going into tonight with Sonny Gray on the mound versus uh the enigmatic Clay Buckholtz, but uh, the offense picked uh, picked everybody up, so um, that's been pretty cool. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this one. Sonny Gray has been that great this year, but it's nice to see that the Red Sox kept his struggles going. Yeah, certainly, certainly is. You never know how those things are going to go. It's kind of funny, um, non-Red Sox related, but we have seen just a tremendous amount of uh, previously really reliable starters not have great years so far. Yeah, it's really weird. I don't know if this is something that normally happens and we're just noticing because it's happening right now, but I feel like this is more than usual uh, small sample size noise. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. Um, and I guess that you know ties into the David Price thing that everybody's panicking about right now. And um, I, I guess we should just start the show off with that. I mean, what are your thoughts on... Uh, What's been happening to David Price so far this season? He's got the second worst ERA amongst qualified starters right now. I wasn't expecting to get to this right off the bat, but when it happens organically, you just got to go. So, um, what do you think? Yeah, so um, I'm not super worried. He's obviously still David Price. 
Um, I will say that I think I've seen a lot of snark about uh, from people who aren't worried, making fun of people who are worried, and I think that's a little extreme. I mean, yeah, the peripherals are great, and it's the big reason why I think he'll bounce back, but it's way too easy to say it's been all bad luck. Um, he has a high BABIP, or he's allowing a high BABIP, but that's a lot because his velocity's down and he's leaving pitches up in the zone. So those get hit harder and they're going to lead to more hits in a higher BABIP. Um, and also the high strand rate might be some bad luck, but it's also him pitching worse out of the stretch with runners on base. So I think he's um, got some regression coming that's going to help. And I also think that um, mechanical tweak that somehow Dustin Pedroia keeps discovering these things for pitches, but he found another one for price. So, I mean, I think he'll turn it around, but I think um, there's some reason to be a little concerned about what we've seen, even if you think he will bounce back. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there is some concern now. And initially I was, you know, not super worried about it. I thought he'd turn it around, but I still think he will. Um, however, Owen Watson for Fangraphs had that great article, the mostly good news about David Price today that uh, everybody should go check out. And he really goes in depth about uh, what you were just mentioning. He's been terrible with men on base. So um, it certainly is a skill. I mean, we've seen it from many different pitchers over the years who tend to bear down when runners are on base. I, the a guy who comes to mind for me is uh, Johnny Cueto, especially when he was with the Reds, was tremendous with runners on base. So um, it certainly is a skill and something that you can't just turn a blind eye to. Yeah, I think people kind of underrate that, um, especially just pitching out of the stretch is maybe not for David Price because his windup's a little more kind of closer to the stretch than most pitchers. But just generally speaking, I mean, it's a whole different uh, setup and way to pitch. So, I mean, there is a lot of luck involved, but I think um, saying it's all luck is overstating it. So another thing that showed up in that article that I was mentioning was the the, the side by side pictures of him from uh, last year in 2015 and this year in 2016. Um, the leg kick is supposedly a little bit different, but from looking at these pictures, I couldn't really tell a difference. Did you notice anything mechanically when you read the article and looked at that? Yeah, so I'm looking at it right now. Um... I mean, I could see it a little bit if I squint, but it doesn't look like anything major. Yeah. Uh, then again, I mean, pitching is so so weird that just one little tiny difference can make um, all the difference in the world. So, I mean, maybe there is something there. I'm not a pitching coach, so who knows? Yeah, the thing that I can notice a little bit, I think, is that it looks as if his momentum is a little bit more forward. At this point, in on the left-hand side where he's pitching for Toronto, uh, but then again, you don't really know where these pictures are taken in his delivery and whether that's even something that we can bank on. So, like you said, it's going to be difficult. So you hope that um, you know whatever Pedroia pointed out and David Price thinks he's figured out um, actually helps. But I don't know if it's going to make up for two miles an hour. Um, I mean, he's still missing bats, though. I'm. Even if the velocity doesn't come back, um, he was kind of getting – I'm pretty sure he's getting away from his fastball the last few years anyways and leaning more on the secondaries. So, I mean, velocity is going to go at some point. He's, the fact that he's still missing bats um, makes me a little less wary about the velocity. Yeah. It's more I, the command. I think that's true. He's certainly been somebody who's been reinventing himself over the, the last few years. So 
Um, probably not something we have to worry about here. Um, well, another guy who I wanted to talk about, who I was going to lead off the show with initially, was Dustin Pedroia because um, I was super bullish on him coming into this season. I thought he was finally healthy, um, and I was encouraged. I guess I am a little bit of a homer, so I'm always looking for the best-case scenario out of yeah. these guys. Um, but, man, I I have to be impressed with what he's done so far. He looks just like the Pedroia that we saw uh, during his prime seasons, during his MVP campaign. And I wanted to get your take on Pedroia. I mean, do you think he could get back to those levels as to where he was when he was winning all those awards? Uh, I mean, probably not to that quite that level, but um, it's hard to argue with what he's done so far. He's barreling up the ball um, consistently, and the power looks like it's back. It came back last year. Um, he's got a 174 ISO right now. I don't know if it's going to stay that high, but I mean, even if he gets stays at the 150, who was that last year? Um, that's huge. I was kind of, uh, and when he lost his power in 2013, 2014, I didn't really ever think it was going to come back. I thought the injuries were a convenient excuse, but, uh, the way he's hitting the ball right now, it looks like it's here to stay. He's crushing the ball. He's hitting a ton of line drives. Um, so maybe some of those home runs will turn into doubles at some point, but, Either way, having him hitting like this at the top of the lineup is huge. And um, also, apparently, he can find any problems with the pitcher. So, that's a nice <laughs> added bonus for a second baseman. Yeah, everything's been great so far. Offensively, he's been amazing. Defensively, he's been great. Um, just really, everything is, is going his way. And that opposite field shot the other day was just really encouraging, too. Being able to handle a, a fastball high up in the zone and take it out of the park in an opposite field is pretty indicative of having those wrists be fully healthy and that power be all the way back. And it just really lengthens the lineup quite a bit. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, especially with Bet struggling right now, uh, having Pedroia um, right after him setting the table for the rest of the lineup is huge. Yeah, it's, uh, it is pretty tremendous and really makes this lineup incredibly dangerous. Um, I was looking just today, actually, at that lineup before the game started, and I noticed that our two through eight hitters on the Red Sox team right now are currently all batting over 282, which is just crazy to me. Yeah, that's that's the lowest batting average on the team right now. Um, and you got to think that Betts is going to get there, right? I mean, he's he's too good not to get there. Yeah, um, yeah. So I guess we should talk about Betts right now. Um, I mostly agree. I'm not really worried, um, but there are some things that kind of stand out to me. Uh, before we get into the numbers, just one little intangible thing. Um, I don't know if you watched the game on Friday, um, the Culpa game. But, yep. but, but just ignoring Culpa for a minute. Um, yep. Betts dropped down a weird bunt in the sixth inning with a man on second and no outs. I think there was no outs. Um, I don't and, recall exactly, but I think you're right. Yeah, and it really made no sense at the time. And after the game, John Farrell said that it was Betts' call and that he would rather see Betts swing the bat. But then he threw in a line about how if a batter is not confident that he can get the run in, he has no problem with them bunting, which in theory sounds great. But it kind of concerns me that Betts isn't confident that he can rip a single right now and that he would drop down a bunt instead. So um, I don't know if they should drop him down in the lineup for a couple of days or what, but that kind of stood out to me. Um Beyond that, the strikeouts are up, um, in particular against breaking balls. He's whiffing a lot more. 
Um, I don't know, again, if that goes back to the confidence. I don't know if that's going to stay, but right now it is. Um, that's the most concerning thing about his profile. The block rate is about the same, or his plate discipline number is about the same as last year, so his walk rate should come out, come up a little bit. And uh, I think the power will come up too. He's had a few hard hit uh, balls tonight, so it's mostly the strikeouts and that confidence thing was just really weird to me. And um, it's something I'm going to be keeping an, out, an eye out for for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I agree with all those things. And I just want to add one more number that I've found a little bit troubling when I dug into Betts' profile because I think there is a little bit more than meets the eye here. But his O contact percentage, so outside of the zone contact, uh, has dropped by over 11% from last year, which is a pretty substantial drop. You know, he used to be able to hit just about anything. You definitely didn't want to throw him anything inside because he was going to turn on that pitch, but he was able to get to a lot of pitches that were borderline, um, and he's not been able to do that this year. Yeah, I think that goes back. Um, I'm assuming it goes back to the breaking balls. Um, his biggest increase in whiff rate against individual pitches have been sliders and curveballs, so I would assume there's some pretty heavy, heavy correlation there. He's just swinging through a lot of uh, breaking balls that are breaking out of the zone. Um, and again, that's something he should improve. Um, we've seen him hit those pitches before, so I'm counting, kind of counting on it just being small sample size noise, but it's definitely a little concerning. Now, I don't know if you've looked into this yet, but have pitchers been treating him any differently this year than they have last year in terms of what they've been offering him? Because I know that when Xander was going through um, his struggles and he couldn't hit the slider or really any breaking pitches for a period of time. Um, pitchers really started to exploit that and he kind of transitioned and fixed his swing. So it's more of a contact happy swing uh, and patched some of those things up. And I wonder if Betts is going through a similar transition right now. Um, so I looked at the zone pro- profiles. There isn't really anything different in terms of location. Um, I haven't really looked at, um, pitch types, it would kind of make sense if they were throwing in more breaking balls, um, especially as the year has gone on and he struggled more. But I don't have the numbers in front of me to uh, back that up. Yeah, definitely something interesting to uh, to take a look at and see what is, is actually being offered to him. Like right off the bat right now, I'm looking at his Brooks baseball numbers. And in 2016, um, he's seeing 59% of the pitches that he sees are hard pitches, uh, he's seeing 30% breaking pitches, which is the highest amount that he's ever seen in his career. Um, and he is seeing a higher, highest career high percentage of uh, off-speed pitches. Well, actually second, second highest of his career to 2014. But overall, fewer fastballs than he's ever seen before. So that certainly does, uh, does seem to be the case. So um, I'm sure it's something that he'll figure out. I mean, this is a guy that we're talking about who had – uh, better walk uh, rates than he had strikeout rates through most of his time in the minors and seems to have a really innate ability to hit the ball. Um, so I think it's probably just growing pains here. And if I had to bet, uh, yeah, bet on bets, um, he'll probably finish this season right around 280, 290 if I, if I was to place a bet. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, he's shown abilities to adjust at higher levels on the fly, so I don't see why this year would be any different. Yeah, absolutely. So as we're talking about that lineup, um, we need to do justice uh, and talk about David Ortiz a little bit. We haven't really harped on David 
um, too much on this show. I mean, we're six episodes in now, and we mentioned the David uh, Ortiz farewell tour a little bit early on, but he's just been so good that we haven't talked about him. It's all about, you know, how do we fix the rotation early on or how to how do we deal with these other issues going on with the team and nothing about, hey, David Ortiz is quietly having one of the best years that he's had in a while. Um, just tremendous power. I mean, he's slugging in the 600s right now. Oh, I mean, what gives? I mean, this is this is unbelievable, right? He's 40 years old. He shouldn't yeah. be doing this. It's crazy. Um, I haven't checked tonight. I'm assuming it hasn't changed, but I know after last night he was the fourth best hitter in baseball by WRC Plus this year. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's something that, yeah, we don't really talk about that much because it's not um, – good things aren't as interesting to talk about as bad things, as sad as it is to say. But um, – it's definitely something that I'm appreciating while I watch, uh, just thinking in the back of my head that this is the last time I'm going to see him. I mean, just the way he swings the bat when he hits a home run, it I don't really have the words to describe it, but it just makes me so happy. And <laughs> it just makes I, – I don't – it's I'm ecstatic that he's playing so well. Um, I don't want him to retire, but I think Carsley said this last week, at least we're not going to see him limp to the finish line. Um, he's doing this, and – just the way he is, I assume, probably not to this extent, but I assume he's going to be outstanding for the whole season. So uh, I'm just taking advantage of being able to watch him as much as I can. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there in the same boat with you. And leave it to this guy to just finish a career in this type of a way. I mean, this is this is such a way to cap it. Uh, he's currently slashing 308, 393 with a 673 uh, slugging percentage. So. He's going to hit 40 home runs, right? Like, I think he hit 37 last year. I think he's going to hit 40 this year. I think he is. I was just going to ask you that. You know, that's 37 was the best total that he's had since uh, 2006 when he hit 54 home runs. Um, so he was obviously very good last year, but I agree. I mean, I think the 40-year-old is going to hit 40 in the year that he retires. It's crazy that we're even talking about that. It sh- it shouldn't be possible. It's yeah. it's Bonzian. That's what it is. And <laughs> it it scares me to say that. So I don't want to start going into Kurt Schilling territory and speculating <laughs> on people. But it does make you think a little bit, right? I mean, what's what's going on? Like, how is he doing this? Do you think there's there's any any smoke there? Yeah. Or? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna enjoy it. Who knows? Yeah, I don't really care either. I don't yeah. want to know. Um, Turbinanol or whatever everybody's getting <laughs> caught with. Yeah, he's he's not taking it. He, why would he want to screw up this farewell tour? Yeah, so exactly. He's he's fine. But yeah, it really is amazing. Uh, currently has an ISO of three sixty four, which you know that's three sixty nine right now actually. Three sixty nine. Yeah, two doubles tonight. Right. So that has gone up, and uh, yeah, it's just stupid. It's, yeah, it's pretty incredible much. numbers. Um, that I I was uh, thinking about you know, what the Twins are going to do to honor him because everybody's kind of giving presents to Ortiz as he goes around to all these different cities. And, you know, w- what's the scenario there? Do they just do nothing because he's oh, the one that got away? Nothing. They can't do nothing. I, I'm not creative enough to think of what they should do, but they definitely have to do something. They, Besides the Yankees, they probably have to make the biggest deal out of it, I would think. Do you think KG and Randy Moss will be there? <laughs> KG might. Who knows? I don't know what he's up to. Randy Moss is uh he's working for ESPN now, so he might yeah. be doing 
football football stuff. He got a Monday night gig, didn't he? I don't know what he's doing. I know he's working there. Yeah. I just saw that. Straight cash, homie. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it'd be good to see him. Um, back to baseball. So we've covered Pedroia being awesome, Ortiz being awesome, Betts struggling, Price struggling. But one of the questions we haven't tackled is um, the guy who actually – uh, on Sunday Night Baseball, had a complete game. And I believe it's the only complete game of the season by a Red Sox starter, um, and that's Stephen Wright. Uh, just completely ridiculous. Has a 157 ERA, if I remember correctly, on the year now. Um, good for one of the best marks in the entire American League. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, from what you've seen so far of Stephen Wright, and granted he is a knuckleballer, so... Um, take this with a grain of salt, but do you think that he's the special type of knuckleballer that could put together a season like R.A. Dickey did when he won the Cy Young Award? Probably not. I mean, that's pretty high expectations. That doesn't mean he can't stick in the rotation all year or anything like that. I think it's pretty clear that um, I I know I undersold him to start the year, but I don't know if I would put him on that uh, Cy Young track. I mean, he does – I know I talked earlier about how BABIP isn't all luck and everything, but he does have a 219 BABIP right now. Um, even though knuckleballers tend to um, outperform their peripherals a lot, I think that's still going to come up. Um, but with that being said, um, I wrote something last week about him and saw that he was getting more movement on his knuckleball than he did last year, and obviously that's the name of the game for him. So he is limiting that hard contact. Um, he's keeping it down and. Even, actually, Sunday he was keeping the ball up on purpose, which is kind of weird, but it worked. Um, but so I think he'll be solid, probably like three, five to four ERA for the rest of the year. But um, no, I wouldn't put him in the Cy Young class. No Cy Young. Uh, that's unfortunately, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> bringing me back to earth here on Stephen Wright. But really, I mean. What a joy it's been to watch him so far. He's been keeping the walks down. The strikeouts have been up, like you mentioned. Um, and that thing is just flying all over the place. It's so funny. Every night you're going to see, you know, half dozen pass balls when he goes out and pitches. But um, it's fine because nobody's on base. Yeah, I I think at this point the Red Sox need to have a knuckleballer on their team at all times. Um, Stephen Ray will be around for a while, but they need to start grooming their next one for when he retires. And uh, just keep that line going. It's too much fun. <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't their uh, potential next knuckleballer be like 14 right now? <laughs> hey, you can start him young. You can <laughs> sign him out of you can sign him out of the, uh, Latin America in like two years. So there we go. Yeah, there we go. A little J2 signing, <laughs> knuckleballer from Dominican Republic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we should start a knuckleball academy. Hey, I mean Tim Wakefield isn't on Nesson that much, right? He, he's probably got some free time. Yeah, I think so. So let's talk about that Yankee series a little bit from last week. And I want to touch on the Ron Culpa thing because, um, you know, everybody on Red Sox Twitter and everybody in Red Sox Nation and Boston Sports Radio, you can't get away from the Ron Culpa thing. So I wanted to get your reaction to the whole thing. I didn't see your hot take on it on Twitter. I mean, I was like everybody else on Twitter, you know, tweeting out zone profiles for that night and basically just flipping out. Um, but I wanted to know whether or not you thought the 3-1 call was a legit call and whether you thought the final strike call where Ortiz didn't swing um, was actually a strike. 
All right. So, um, just generally speaking, um, I don't really love complaining about the strike zone. I think it gets exhausting. The strike zone, um, is off every night. But with that being said, this was kind of a special circumstance and it does merit some discussion. Um, the three, one pitch, that was the one that, uh, McCann just like completely crossed up, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was a strike. Um, I thought so in real time and it looked even more like a strike when they slowed it down. Maybe it was just off the plate, but it wasn't anything to get too upset about. Um, I think Ortiz was more mad about the night as a whole because Culpa's zone was pretty awful the whole night. So I think he was more mad about um, getting that frustration built up over the whole night than that specific pitch. And McCann getting crossed up didn't help anybody. But then the 3-2 pitch was... 100% a ball. It was an, it was an awful call. There's no denying it. And I was willing to give Copa the benefit of the doubt of not just holding against Ortiz for that outburst, um, until after the game. They asked him about the pitch and he said that it was right down the middle, which I mean, anybody with eyes knows that it, at the very least it was at the knees. So that was definitely a ball. Um, with that being said, I still keep going back to that bunt from Betts in the sixth inning. I don't know why I can't get, I can't take my mind off that bunt. It probably wouldn't have changed anything, but that was the thing I was most disappointed with in that game. Yeah, I mean, to to touch on the bunt quickly, you're right. Your number one hitter, your leadoff hitter, presumably one of the better hitters on the baseball team, should not be thinking about bunting in that situation. So that's troubling in its own right. You wonder what issues he has to work out. As far as the Ron Culpa thing goes, I agree with you. I think the 3-1 pitch, albeit I thought it was a little on the borderline side because it was so poorly mishandled by McCann and, you know, say what you want to say about a ball going through the zone, how it's handled does matter. Um, and I think that Ortiz was set off by that initially. Um, but the next pitch, eh, it's just... It was it's, a horrible goal. It, it was it. it was a horrible call. By I've heard several times that by the letter of the law, the way oh, that Culpa, the way that Culpa saw the pitch, you could say that at the point where he saw it, it was still in the zone. But uh, even it, even if it was still in the zone, it was barely in the zone at that point, and it did look like such a vindictive move by Culpa. And when you think about the game situation, um. From a larger standpoint, if he calls that ball correctly, which I think correctly would be um, call it a, a ball and then Ortiz gets on base, uh, the runner scores, ties the game. For the for the Red Sox, Koji Uehara and Craig Kimbrell were in the bullpen warming up. They had not been used yet in the game. The game would have been tied. The bases would have been loaded for Hanley Ramirez after that run scores. There's less pressure in that at bat. The the Yankees had already used Dylan Batonsis, um, and Andrew Miller had already pitched two innings, so he wasn't going to be coming out for the next inning. Um, so really, when I think about that, I really feel like the Red Sox get a game stolen from them. i got to think that if that game is tied – with the Red Sox having all those good bullpen options left and the Yankees not having any, that there's probably, and I'm not basing this on anything, gut feel, 75% chance we win that game. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, it, probably a little high because baseball is so weird. But, yeah, they probably would have won the game. And I think the league 
agrees with you. Um, I don't know if you saw that John Farrell's not getting suspended, um, but that's a gift because he got ejected and then came back out on the field. So he definitely should be suspended. They're only going to fine him. I think that's the league's way of saying, uh, yeah, we messed up. You guys kind of got screwed there. Um, let's just move past it. It's one game. So, I mean, it was, it was frustrating for the night, but, um, and if they miss, if they miss the playoffs by one game, we'll probably go back and I'll yell about that again. But at the end of the day, it's one game. Um, it really shouldn't be the end of the world. Yeah. Isn't it nice to, um, follow, you know, have a favorite sport that has a commissioner like Rob Manfred instead of a commissioner like Roger Goodell where, <laughs> uh, you know, he actually understands decisions and uh, understands the, the the feeling of having something get taken away from you. It's just – it's nice to have a, a commissioner who seems to act rationally. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, he, he's definitely a, an interesting guy. Um, so I wanted to talk about Jackie Bradley here for a second too because yes. Jackie Bradley Jr. has been having an incredible season. Um, so far he's driven in a few extra runs tonight. Um, he's been awesome in the field, but by and large he's been hitting way better than I thought that was even possible. Like he's he's at a 90th to 95th percentile approximation of what I thought he could ever possibly be with the bat right now. So I wanted to get your take on that. Do you think there's been any real changes in what he's been able to do? Or is this just another one of Jackie Bradley Jr.'s patented hot streaks like he had last year where he turned into Barry Bonds? Um, so, I mean, I think it could be both, right? Um, he's It's definitely a hot streak. He's not going to um, put up a 150 WIC plus for the whole year. That's just not going to happen. But he is, he has made real changes. Um, he's striking out a lot less. Um, if you read what I've written about him over the last couple of years, um, that was always my number one concern was him striking out nearly 30% of the time. Um, and um, more specifically, he's, doing better against breaking balls and that's an adjustment he had to make and it took him a while to make it but now that he's doing it um it's definitely showing up in his numbers um the power probably isn't this real but it's definitely there in some capacity so i think he's probably he's gonna hit a cold streak at some point i think he's probably gonna end up end the year something close to a league average hitter but that's a lot better than i ever thought he would be and with his defense in center field that's more than enough, especially um, with all the bats in this lineup. Yeah, it, it's been really impressive so far what he's been able to do, and he's getting on base at a 342 clip, which is pretty good. Um, I think the walk rate will probably go up as the year goes on because even when he's been bad, he's shown a better walk rate than the 6.1% that he's showing so far. Um, it is encouraging to see that he's cut that strikeout rate down to 24.6%. Do you think that's something that he'll be able to manage? going forward i mean it's not a huge jump but three percent is three percent yeah i mean it's definitely noticeable um and i think he can uh, he didn't really strike out that much coming up through the minors um so i think that this is finally the adjustment he's making and if he can stick around below 25 percent, then that's fine um with his occasional power spurts and like i said his defense um the 260 to 270 average or whatever he'll post with his uh, 23% K rate is uh, more than enough. Yeah, you you mentioned the occasional power here, and I want to talk about that quickly because 
Last year, over 74 games, he hit 10 home runs with the Sox. Uh, had a 249 ISO. This year, already has three home runs, 231 ISO, 519 slugging percentage. Um, pretty impressive power numbers for a guy who plays center field who really isn't expected to do much of anything with the bat. I mean, have we been underselling this guy's power? Because in the minor leagues, it really didn't max out at much more than 13 to 14 home runs per season, uh, combining levels or you know, what's going on here? Is he developing more power? Um, so I think he's changing his approach a little bit. Um, the last couple of years, he started pulling the ball a lot. Um, almost, he's almost pulling it half the time this year and that'll probably hurt his babbit in the long run, but it doesn't matter if he's hitting home runs and he hit another home run tonight. So he's up to four this year and that one went out to right field. Um, so some of these balls are probably going to turn into doubles or turn into fly outs, but. Uh, I think he can be a 175 to 185 ISO hitter, and uh, that's way, way more than I ever expected out of him. So if he can do that, which we think he can, um, at 26 years old with the defense that he has, um, is this going to be a potential, you know, 10 to you know, eight to ten year player here in Boston. I mean, is this a guy who's going to be plug and play for the Red Sox for a long, long time? Yeah, I don't see why not. Um, especially with Castillo kind of flaming out, there's a hole in the outfield that's going to be filled hopefully by Benintendi, and then there's not a whole lot there else there in the organization. So I don't see why he can't at least make it through to free agency with the Red Sox. I don't see any real reason for them to trade him. Um, so, I, yeah, I would say he's a cornerstone right now, even if he's going to decline a little bit from where he's at at this very moment. Yeah, I think so, too. And that, that could be a really interesting um, lineup as we go forward. I mean, with what Benintendi is doing right now, and we'll talk about that as we get towards our discussion of minor leagues later in the show. You know, you could envision an outfield with Benintendi, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., um, and, and Mookie Betts, three guys that all used to play center field or currently playing center field for Jackie Bradley, so that would be a pretty dominant outfield there in terms of defense. Oh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's uh kind of what we were expecting this year when until Castillo decided that he wasn't a major league caliber player. So uh, <laughs> it'll be nice to get that, again, that excitement again. Yeah, I wish they didn't um, decide to give him $72 bucks from seeing him work out on a Bowflex or whatever they did. Seems yeah, like right. a bad choice, but, you know... Doesn't seem like it's affected them a free agency, so <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, so let's talk about the upcoming schedule for this week. Uh, the Red Sox have a lot of interesting uh, games coming up. Um, playing Oakland for the first time this year, which uh, Oakland always seems to give them a little bit of trouble. Um, but you know, so far so good tonight handling the ace. Uh, I think this was the start I was most scared about when I looked at the schedule. Buckholtz versus Gray, but that's working out so far. Uh, after Oakland, they get Houston, but I want to talk about the pitching matchups so far. Um, we've got, obviously, tonight's matchup, um, but tomorrow's a really intriguing matchup because we have Sean O'Sullivan versus um, Sean Manea for uh, Oakland. He's a really intriguing lefty rookie for Oakland. 
uh, ton of strikeout stuff. Command comes and goes, but um, really impressive young pitcher. And then there's Sean O'Sullivan, which I think majority of people, even people that are listening to this show right now, probably don't know what to expect out of him. So I wanted to see if you could talk about uh, Sean O'Sullivan, if you've seen him before, what Red Sox fans can expect from his debut. Um, He's... Quite frankly, he's not very good. Um, maybe he'll surprise us. I said this a lot. I, I said this about Rich Hill last year, so um, take it for what it's worth. But he's had experience in the majors. He's got uh, – let me pull up his numbers. He's got 303 innings with a 596 ERA. So, I mean, he's a spot starter. I don't expect him to get any more starts this year. Um, so I'm a little worried about this uh, particular matchup, but – it's one start. Uh, O'Sullivan, if, if O'Sullivan is on this team for a while this year, something's went horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think I agree with you there. He's you know not not a young guy, a guy who's bounced around a lot. I don't think particularly much of him. Um, he's been pitching well enough this year, but um, I think he could keep the Red Sox in that game, which might be all they need because Manea. Even though he's got, you know, certainly number two starter potential down the road, hasn't come really close to fulfilling that potential. I mean, he's only, what, two or three starts into his major league career right now. So there's certainly a lot of work to be done there. Um, How do you view that matchup? I mean, do you think O'Sullivan has enough that he could hang with Manea? Um, I mean, it's it's more about the lineup being able to hit Manea. Um, yeah. I think it's it's a really interesting matchup for this lineup because they've kind of struggled against lefties this year. Um, so seeing a lefty with the kind of strikeout stuff that uh, Manea has uh, will be a big test for them. And I, gun to my head, I'd probably say they lose this game, but uh, that's it's obviously no guarantee. Um, but yeah, I don't think Sean O'Sullivan is really the key here. I think it's more the lineup getting on a roll against a lefty. Yep, I I would agree. I th- I think uh, that's going to be the big test. I I would like to think that the Sox could hit a guy like Manea who misses his spots a good amount, but it'll be interesting to see whether or not that happens. Um, the next matchup, I think the Red Sox certainly have an edge because it's going to be um, uh, Rick Porcello versus an undetermined starter um, it, it, with the Oakland A's. Eric um, Serkamp is getting started. Oh, Eric Surkamp is okay, yes, which is kind of like their Sean O'Sullivan. So yeah, that's uh, that bodes a lot better. I was wondering whether or not we would see Jesse Hahn in that start, but I thought he had been sent down too recently uh, for him to get recalled again. Yeah, so. I think they just sent him down the other day. So yeah, and that's what a ten-day buffer for those guys to come back up. Yeah, unless someone gets put on the deal. Okay, yeah, so that's that's a relief. So Sir Camp, yeah, I don't expect much of him. He's been pretty mediocre for quite some time. Yeah, he's like I said, he's the Sean O'Sullivan. He's <laughs> just he's just the guy that you come bring up to start every once in a while. So overall here, I mean, in these matchups, um I think the Red Sox are in pretty good shape, right? They're obviously gonna cruise tonight, it seems like they should. Um Sean O'Sullivan versus Manet is a coin flip, and then Porcello has a huge edge there. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, they should definitely take two out of three in the series. Yep. Okay, let's move on to um, Houston, where things get a little bit more intriguing. Um, David Price versus Dallas Keuchel. Um, 
what last year would have been a ridiculously good pitching matchup uh, might turn out to just be uh, more of a tale of what the offenses can do. Um, not that Keuchel has been nearly as bad as Price has been, but Keuchel has not been his Cy Young type self um, so far this early going. And that's not surprising because like we talked about, there's been a lot of guys like that, but he's still been pretty effective. Um, I think we're going to be watching David Price more than anything to see if those small minor adjustments that he thinks he's found actually pay any dividends. And if they can, um, this is an opponent I think that he can really exploit because there's a tremendous amount of swing and miss in Houston. And that's manifested itself in uh, a lot of their early season struggles here. I mean, the top of the lineup is pretty good, but um, as you get towards the bottom, there are some pretty big black holes, and pitching has not been a strength for this club. So how do you see that one working out? Yeah, uh, so that's kind of a challenge game for Price and the lineup. Um, like you said with Price, that's a lineup who he should get a bunch of strikeouts against. But it's also a lineup where he can't leave those pitches up in the zone or they're going to destroy him. They have so much power. So um, – I think he should do well, but I also thought he should do well against the Yankees. So uh, that'll be an interesting one to watch. And then with Keiko, um, he's another tough lefty. And like I said, the Red Sox haven't been great against those tough lefties. So um, it would be nice this week. They uh, Manaya and Sarkamp are both lefties and then Keiko. So that's um, three in a row. So get, hopefully get them on a little roll, uh, get Chris Young going um, three games in a row. Um yeah, so that's a that's an important matchup, I think. Yeah, Keuchel, he's had a weird season. So he's got a 470 ERA. Um, the FIP is much better at 353. Um, and the Red Sox were lucky enough not to not to draw him last time they played. So this will be their first time they've seen him this year. Um, but yeah, it'll His be walks are up though, right? His walks are up quite a bit, which is troublesome for a guy like that who certainly had. Very, very elite command last year. Last season, um, in that campaign where he did win the award, um, he was walking fewer than two guys per nine. And so far this year, it's almost double that. Yeah, I think I might be wor- more worried about Keiko than Price uh, moving forward. And maybe that's a little bias on my part, but um, just because he relies so much on command and has never been a huge strikeout guy, that losing that would uh, kind of kill him. So maybe the Red Sox are catching me at a good time. Yeah, I, I wonder about that one. Who would you give the edge to in that one? I think I'm going to lean Price. Yeah, probably. Um, but it's close. They're both struggling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next matchup I think is going to be a huge advantage for the Red Sox. Uh, we send out um, ace Stephen Wright, <laughs> dare <laughs> I say, baseball. <laughs> um, versus Colin McHugh, who has just been terrible. Um, just... I mean, he looks like he's just throwing junk every time I've seen him so far. Uh, I don't know what your take on him is. He was somebody who was very effective last year, has been effective in the past, um, but this year he just can't seem to get anything working. He's got a 5.5 ERA. This is coming off two seasons where he had a 273, and then last year 389 ERA, but that was actually um, not quite as good as what some of his advanced metrics said he should be. So... Um, it's going to be an interesting matchup. Yeah, I've always kind of liked Colin McHugh. Um, I have him in a dynasty league, so that kind of skews my view of him a little bit. But I haven't really seen any of his outings, so I don't know if he's just getting crushed. He's giving up 
a ton of hits and a lot of home runs. So maybe he's just lost his command and his stuff. Um, like, I'll be interested to see him, but I haven't seen him pitch, so I can't really speak to him too much. Um, did you know that he finished eighth in the Cy Young voting last year? What the hell is that all about? I, you know, it must have been on the back of his second half, because if I recall correctly, and I'm pulling it up right now, um, I believe he had a huge second half to the season last year. He must have, because, I mean, uh, that just, I'm on his baseball reference page, and that just kind of well, threw you, me off. You know, not huge. Um, he had a 450 ERA in the first half and a 311 ERA in the second half. So he certainly improved, and he struck out a whole lot more guys, but... Um, yeah, certainly not enough to garner Cy Young consideration. So. Gotta love, gotta love award voters. Yeah, you know, I think everybody was just excited that um, Houston had finally become relevant again after many, many years of doing the full stripped down rebuild. So that'll go. be interesting. But uh, final matchup of the week is, or nope. Uh, we've got two more. I forget this was a four-game set. Um, Saturday is Buckholtz versus Mike Fires. Um, I'm going to make it a point not to watch this one. I'm going <laughs> to make plans on this day. I don't know how you feel about it, but um, Mike Fires actually did really well against the Red Sox last time he, he faced them, uh, which was kind of frustrating because I feel like this is exactly the type of guy that the Red Sox should just – annihilate um and i've been pretty much making it a point not to watch clay buckholt starts um from now on because i just get too furious when i watch him but i wanted to get your thoughts on that that's probably a good way to live life um he's (laughs) he's definitely been frustrating um yeah i'll be able to miss this game too i'll be at work so um i think that i have no idea what to say about buckholt at this point he was bad again tonight He's going to get the win because, you know, wins. But um, he was leaving pitches right down the middle of the zone again. So uh, I said this on Twitter last week that I will never admit that Buckles is bad. But um, at this point, I'm also not going to say that he's good. I'm just kind of going to kind of stay out of the Buckles discussion for a little while. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good way to be. I'm going to go ahead and give the edge here to Mike Fires in his 535 ERA. <laughs> that's uh, it is sad, but you know what? The reverse jinx worked for me last week because when I said uh, that I would give the edge to I, – I forget what White Sox starter it was last week that was going against uh, Clay Buckholtz. He went out and threw a gem. So um, I'm just going to keep doing that until the reverse jinx wears off. So hopefully he'll go out and do something good. Fair enough. Um, last matchup. To be determined starter for the Red Sox. Um, do you think it's possible that this could be Eduardo, or are we going to get Joe Kelly here? Uh, I mean, I think it's got to be Rodriguez. Uh, it better not be Joe Kelly. I didn't even consider that. <laughs> you haven't considered it? I, th- I think I've definitely considered it. I think. Well, just it seems like they want to call Rodriguez up. Um, so that's my expectation. Man, I hope so. Um, he's going off against Davinsky, who I don't even know who this guy is. I've never really seen him pitch. Have you seen him do anything? I know almost nothing about him besides that he's a pitcher on the Astros team, Chris yeah. Davinsky. So let's not even talk about Chris Davinsky yeah. because he's not very good, presumably so. Um, but yeah, He's been pretty well. In it. He's done pretty well in his first two starts. Well, that's something. Well, you know, maybe, maybe he's going to turn out to be an ace. Who knows? But he's certainly not a guy who has any sort of minor league pedigree. 
um, or else we definitely would have heard of him by now. Um, but the interesting thing is going to be whether or not John Farrell decides he wants to continue to take it slow with Eduardo and give him more rehab stints, or if he wants to throw him right into the mix. You seem to think he wants to throw him into the mix. I'm not so sure. I think that the Red Sox really don't value Joe Kelly nearly as much as they do as Eduardo. And I think that if they're in similar spots in their rehab right now, they're probably going to turn to Joe Kelly for that start just just to give Eduardo more time. Um, I don't know, you know if, if that's going to be the case or anything, but as far as Eduardo, we were going to get to him a little later in the show, but we can get to him now because we're talking about him. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez in his last minor league rehab start went five, five and two-thirds, uh, gave up three earned runs, only struck out two guys, and walked one guy. Wasn't great, but I want to give the caveat here that he was facing a Red Wings lineup, the Twins AAA team here, um, that has Buxton, Kepler, Kenny's Vargas, Adam Walker, and John Ryan Murphy. So in terms of AAA rosters, doesn't get too much better than that one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't – rehab starts are kind of weird. I don't really look at the numbers too, too much um, as long as he's not getting completely shelled. Um, it's just more about getting his work in. Um, so I think – I mean, it's hard to say that he's ready or he's not ready based on – just numbers. I mean, I think you got to talk to him and see how he feels, but he's made three rehab starts. Um, I just don't want to see Joe Kelly in the rotation anymore. That's that's the biggest thing. I'm over that. I don't want to see him in the rotation either, but if he doesn't go into the rotation, who does he displace in the bullpen? Because the bullpen has been pretty good lately. I don't know whether or not there's really a guy who I can point to and say, you know, Joe Kelly would be a better option than you. You know, I don't I don't know that there's that guy right now for me. Well, um, it's not really – it's about just keeping your depth. So, I mean, I would say Matt Barnes is probably the guy to go down with the understanding that he'll be back up soon enough when somebody gets hurt or somebody goes through a rough stretch. Um, so I, I don't really worry too, too much about that. I don't think Matt Barnes is so indispensable that you need him in the bullpen right now. And I mean, Tommy Lane would be the other guy, but he's out of options. So uh, you want to keep him around for a little while. And the other option would be keeping Joe Kelly in Pawtucket. I think he still has another option. So maybe they'll keep him starting down there. Would you give any thought to sending Janichi Tozawa down instead? Uh, no, absolutely not. So you're, you're into Tozawa because I haven't been so – enticed by what I've seen from him so far this year. I mean, the, the results have been mostly good, but when he's been bad, he's looked pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, that's how he is, but he's he's been so reliable for so long, um, and obviously he's he's been one of my favorite pitchers on the team since 2012, so I'm a little biased here, but I mean, he's got the control of the strike zone better than just about any other pitcher in baseball. Um, it hasn't really shown up this year. He's kind of walking more batters. But um, if it's between him and Barnes, I mean, i definitely keep Tozawa over Barnes. What about Heath Hembry? It's kind of surprising that neither of us are talking about having him get sent down. He's been really impressive so far. Yeah, he's definitely surprised me. Um, I got stuck, or I guess I volunteered for it, but I ended up writing the roster recap for him this winter. and it, it was 
almost entirely negative. Um, <laughs> but he's, yeah, I mean, he's been outstanding this year. Who knows if he'll keep up, but um, I'd lean optioning Barnes over him just because Henry's been, the results have been good, and he's been going multiple innings at a high level, and that's huge, especially with the rotation that's kind of had a tendency with Buckles and Price to get knocked out early in the game. So um, who knows if it'll last, but uh, just ride him while he's out, I guess. Yeah, he's been great. Um, he was huge in Owen's last start that he only went three innings, and Robbie Ross has been another guy that's been able to go multiple innings successfully. Um, when I look up and down this pen, it's really turned out to be a pretty useful, pretty impressive pen. You've got your back-end guys and Kimbrell and Uihara that – have been really dominant, and I think you can already add Carson Smith to that mix, even though uh, he's only pitched a handful of times since coming back. He's looked every bit that back-end option. And then with guys who are capable of going multiple innings like Robbie Ross, Matt Barnes, and Heath Embry, um, you've just got so many options back there that even with this fifth starter spot in the Buckholtz starter spot, I'll just call it because, you know, he's he's Buckholtz. Yeah. Um, there have been enough options where it really hasn't hurt the Red Sox too much um, when their starter gets taken out of the game early. Yeah, it's definitely huge. And um, I think we all were hoping for that and kind of expecting it coming into the year. And it's always nice to see a plan work out, at least so far. Um, and the nice thing is they have some depth in the minors, too. Um, Pat Light has the strikeout stuff. He's going to work on some things in AAA, uh, mainly his control. Um, but he's a guy who could come up and help later in the year. Um, you got Anthony Vivaro, who a few years ago was one of the better relievers in the game, and he's been pitching well at AAA. Um, you have Wesley Wright, who could, if Tommy Lane struggles too much, you could call up Wesley Wright as a loogie. And then you have uh, Brandon Workman, uh, should be back in the second half, and he's kind of wild card. So um, between that and the possibility of trading for a high-end lefty, if it comes down to it later in the year, um, the bullpen should be a strength all season. Speaking of roster recaps, I was tasked with writing Brandon Workman's, and uh, <laughs> I'm a sneaky Brandon Workman fan. I'm looking forward to him coming back. I really like his stuff. Yeah, he always kind of sneaks up on me, but uh, I have. it's kind of hard after a guy's been out so long to really pin down what to expect from him, but... Uh, given all the other depth in the bullpen, uh, he's a nice wild card to have. Remember him in 2013, though? He was just down oh, yeah. right in the playoffs. Oh, yeah, definitely. And he inexplicably got that at bat in the World Series. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, he is still only 27 years old, so there's still plenty of mileage still left on him, presumably. I mean, if, if things go well with the rehab, I think um, this could be a key part in the bullpen, especially going forward towards next year and maybe – they probably don't do this, but it's possible they stretch him out again. Yeah, uh, yeah, I wouldn't really bet on that. Um, unless something drastic happens, I would think that they're probably going to stick with him as a reliever. I hope so. He's been just so effective in that role. So hopefully everything goes well with him. Um, I wanted to get to the minor leagues a little bit more. Um, I want to talk about some some numbers down there, um, some interesting things. Um, Devin Marrero has been struggling pretty mightily at Pawtucket as has Rusni Castillo. Marrero has been batting 216, um, which is even bad for his standards, 216 at, at AAA. Uh, the guy's got an elite glove. He's frequently talked about as um, possibly 
a bench option, but more likely a trade option when the Red Sox uh, finally do decide to make a trade, whether it be at the deadline or in the offseason. Um, and then with Rusni Castillo, he's got a 227 batting average. We just want to see something out of this guy, right? Because even if you can flip him while eating half the cash to get anything, I mean, I think that that's something that Dombrowski would look to do. Yeah, um, I think starting with Castillo, I was pretty low on him coming into the year, and nothing he's done has changed my mind. Um, I think he's probably going to max out as a fourth outfielder who will show some flashes as somebody who should be more, but he just he just is – his hitting style hasn't translated to uh, the professional level in the States, and I mean he's, what, 29 years old now? Uh, I don't really know if that's going to change. So, I mean, I think the hope would be to trade him at some point, and you probably he's probably more of a, hey, we'll throw him in and eat most of the money in this trade to get an extra live arm back or something like that. But um, I think he's some kind of close to a lost cause. Um, Marrero even more so. I think he's he started the season tentatively as the um, number one infield option Pawtucket to get called up, but he was passed pretty quickly by Marco Hernandez. Um, Hernandez isn't as good with a glove, but he can play multiple positions, and he can actually hit. Um, so Marrero's another guy who will probably get traded and just get be a throw-in in a big deal or um, just traded for a uh, um, DSL guy that can throw in the high 90s. So when I think of Marrero, the name that kind of comes to mind is uh, Jose Iglesias. And I want to know, at this point in their careers, obviously Iglesias was the younger guy when he was traded, but how comparable are their gloves? And, I mean, Iglesias' bat was pretty bad for a long period of time. I I believe even when he was traded, he had only been hot for like a one-month stretch at that point. So, I mean, what's the biggest difference between two guys like that? Because... Iglesias actually got a pretty decent return. Yeah, I've always been kind of surprised at how Iglesias has been able to hit, although it's not really translating this year. Um, but as far as the defense goes, I mean, Marrero's really good, but by all accounts, he's not on Iglesias' level. Um, full disclosure, I haven't seen Marrero a ton. I think I've seen him like once or twice, but um, it's kind of hard to compare anybody to Iglesias. He's just a magician out there. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's good enough where... As long as he's in a halfway decent lineup, you just live with whatever he gives you. And I don't think Marrero's quite at that level, and I don't think that he has the same uh, uh, bat-to-ball skills. I mean, Iglesias has pretty consistently put up at least around a 300 BABIP, and I really don't think Marrero can do that. Yeah, when um, in the year that he was traded uh, in 2013, I don't have the splits in front of me right now, but he did bat 303 that year. The previous year for the Red Sox over a 20 game, 25 game stint, he only batted 118. So the, the struggle was real for Marrero uh, for for quite a while, but he does seem to have figured out what his strengths were. So, uh, or for Iglesias, I should say, uh, it'll be interesting to see if Marrero can get anything going because. I mean, gloves are important, especially at the shortstop position. So yeah, he think... can have he can definitely be a bench bat for somebody. Um, I just think the Red Sox have um, Hernandez and Dubon, and they kind of have these utility types already in their system where 
um, they can stick with the guys who can play a little defense and also hit the ball and uh, just deal Marrero for whatever he can get them. Yeah, I think it's it's certainly looking that way with uh, Margo Hernandez and all those guys passing him. So uh, look for him to get moved at some point. Uh, I wanted to touch on the big uh, four prospects here a little bit. We haven't given an update on those guys in a couple weeks now. Um, the intriguing guy to me is Rafael Devers, who has had pretty drastic struggles so far this season. Um, but over the last uh, five days or so from – May 4th to May 8th, uh, he's had at least one hit in each of those outings and raised his average from 144 to 184 in that span. He did have a home run uh, on Sunday as well, um, so that's another check mark for him. I don't know what he's done so far tonight as we're recording this, um, but it's got to be uh, a relief to see that guy start getting it going. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I wasn't, I was never too worried about him. Um, by all accounts, he's just a hitter. That's what he does. Um, I did see that Chris Hatfield of Sox Prospects mentioned on Twitter tonight that, um, he was getting a little pull happy in April when he was struggling. Um, but by all accounts, most of his, um, most of his trouble to start the year was Babbitt related. So, um, I always kind of figured that it was going to turn around at some point soon, but it's nice to actually see it happen. Yeah, and this is not a fantasy podcast, but uh, if any Dynasty Leaguers out there are looking for a nice buy low right now, uh, I would certainly consider Rafael Devers to be that. Oh, yeah. I mean, if somebody's willing to sell him low, then yeah, definitely take advantage of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other three guys, um, you know, needless to say, but we will because it's awesome to say, uh, they've been incredible. Ben Intendi. Um, so far this season, slashing 368, 424, 624, almost like David Ortiz type uh, slugging numbers, though. Um, the impressive thing about him is uh, the, the doubles. He's already got 13 doubles and seven triples on this year. Um, that's just ridiculous. The guy's yeah. playing awesome defense. He's doing just about everything possible. When the Red Sox made that draft pick, well, first of all, I was pulling for them to pick him. I was just like watching the draft. I, I don't know how many people watch the baseball draft. Definitely us. Um, but nah. no, you don't even watch it. I, I follow it on my phone, but I don't. I don't really sit down and watch it. Oh man, I I had seen him play a few times during the year uh, in college with Arkansas, and I was just like, I love this guy. I really think he's a Red Sox type guy, but I didn't think they'd take him because. Frankly, the Red Sox have been really bad at taking people in the first round uh, lately, um, but they just nailed it with this one. This is this is such a good pick, and he's a guy who we'll get to in a minute. I but I think probably needs to be up at Double A right now, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, the big I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the biggest indicator is his. He's got like eleven strikeouts to seven walks or something stupid like that. Um, and he's just not being challenged at all. There's no reason for him to be there. I mean, I'm sure they have their reasons, whether it's weather or whatever it may be. But um, I would expect him to be up in Portland within the next few weeks, definitely. Uh, another guy who should certainly be joining him in Portland is Yoan Moncada, uh, currently th- slashing 317, 450, uh, 510 with uh, three home runs, seven doubles, 
and impressively 19 stolen bases, only four caught stealing. So uh, really impressive speed numbers from him. But the thing that really jumped off the page to me was the 450 on base percentage. To have him have a better on base mark than Benintendi just says a lot about where he is in terms of um, pitch recognition and plate discipline. And that's not something I really expected to see from him at this point. Yeah, it's it's definitely exciting, and I agree with you that he should be go- he should get called up. Um, I think Benintendi probably has a little bit of a better case, um, but I would say they should both be up by June or um, yeah, by the middle of June at least, um, which is nice because I'm moving up there on June first, so they should they should be up there when I get up there. Um, they might the one thing that they might be doing is trying to let them advance through the system together. Teams do that sometimes, so um, maybe they're waiting for the weather to warm up just for Mankata and then they'll both get called up. But um, just looking at the numbers, there's really no reason why they should still be down there. Yeah, I'm going to add one more guy into the mix outside of the big four prospects, but your boy Mauricio Dubon currently batting 354 at high A right now. Um, I think that Benintendi, Mankata, and Dubon all need to move up to double A and they need to do that sooner rather than later. I mean, I'd like to see it even before June just because of how well those guys are doing. And, I mean, God, Pawtuck, uh, uh, Portland really needs the help. I mean, they're last place right now. There's not a whole lot to get excited about in that lineup at this point, and those three really just need a challenge. Yeah, um, so obviously I love Dubon, but um, I'm not as convinced that he needs to be called up, not even to do with him. Uh, just because Wendell Rio is still in Portland, and I'm not the biggest Rio fan, but the Red Sox seem to like him. They pushed him uh, through all these levels, even at such a young age. So it would be kind of hard to work out playing time for him, Mankata, and Dubon at the same time. So unless they want to send Rio back down to Salem because he's been struggling this year, um, I'm not sure that they can work all three on the same roster for right now. Well, at least... By the time you get up there, you should should get a couple of these guys. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Which would be awesome to see because Portland really is one of the better places in the minor leagues to watch games. So I'm certainly going to be uh, coming up there, Matt. You're going you're gonna to be seeing me at that stadium. So we'll have, to, we'll have to hit a few games together. Um, Anderson Espinosa down at Greenville. Um, Greenville Drive right now. Uh, low A. Espinosa... Most recent start had 11 strikeouts, gave up one earned run in five innings pitched, only walked one guy. Uh, this comes right off the shoulders of an outing where he gave up six earned runs. So what we're seeing with this guy is mostly incredible um, with occasional blowups, but really nothing that has detracted from the crazy comps that have been thrown on this guy, Mini Pedro and all those types of things. He's just been lights out for the most part. Yeah, he's incredible. Um, I think they're probably going to take it slow with him just because he's a pitcher and he hasn't pitched a full season yet. Um, so I wouldn't really expect any promotions to Salem or anything like that. But um, he's it's just fun checking the box score every time he pitches. I mean, he's 18 years old and he just turned 18. It's crazy that he's able to do this against a league full of like 21, 22-year-olds. Yeah, I've really got to make it a point to – watch his next start on MILB TV and just see kind of what his pitch mix looks like. And it's it, it's a little frustrating. You know, you don't have all the advanced numbers and you can't track the pitches as well down at the minor league level. But it'd be interesting to see 
what he's throwing and in what counts and things like that because clearly he's able to do things that uh, are unprecedented. I mean, 11 strikeouts is a team record for uh, Greenville, and he's done it in five innings. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing to do, uh, let alone at that age. So um, just a lot to get excited about in the Red Sox system and um, a little bit more uh, proof that if the Red Sox did want to go out at the deadline and make a splash, get a guy like, I don't know, I, I, I would, I, my go-to is Chris Sale, but I can't say that anymore because they're in contention now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, a, a guy of that ilk, um they certainly have the pieces to do it. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's so much depth in the system right now. And, I mean, even if they trade two of these four guys, they still have two of them left. So. Yep. I selfishly want to keep all of them and of course, still win yeah. the division. But um, if that happens and the team gets better, you know, so be it. Um, three under-the-radar guys I wanted to talk about before we sign off here, and I wanted to get your take on them. Um a few guys who have been having really good seasons so far with the Red Sox minor league uh, teams. Um, Jake Rom- Romanowski, uh, or Romanski, I should say, um, batting 319. He's a catcher at Double A. I wanted to get your take on him. Have you uh, had a chance to to watch him at all, or what do you think of what he's doing so far? Um, so I don't believe I've seen him. Maybe I saw him and just didn't know notice that I was seeing him last year in Portland, but. Um... By all accounts, he's a good catcher. Um, I'm not sure that these offensive numbers are going to translate, but either way, um, he's probably another Dan Butler, which is nice to have a third catcher who can come up in a pinch and play for a couple weeks while the guy's on the DL and then get sent back down. Um, It's nice to have these guys in your system so you're not stuck with Sandy Leone again playing 80 games or whatever. Um, So while he's not a top prospect or anything like that, he can serve as pretty solid depth for the organization yeah i'm i'm looking at his numbers right now and the thing that stands out to me is what he's been able to do at the minor league level is um his ability to not strike out very much he's been right around that 10 percent market at all of his stops so far this year he's at nine percent strikeout rate um not a whole lot of power here uh interesting he did go to san diego state so i'm trying to figure out in my head right now whether or not he caught Steven Strasburg. He must have, right? Because he got to the Red Sox system in 2013. So Yeah, when was Strasburg drafted? 12? I believe it was. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, I think it was 12. So, yeah, they were probably on the same team. Um, No, 2009. What? Yeah, yeah I guess. Wow, time I guess flies. he's been in the league for a little while. He just signed an extension tonight. Jeez. $175 million. And the, the thing that had me like laughing while I heard about this, while I was getting in my car coming out from work, was um, I've got a buddy who's a Yankees fan. Like Everybody's got a Yankees fan buddy. Uh, but he was like, oh, the, Reds, the Yankees are going to go out and sign Strasburg next year. And I was just laughing. You know, another guy off the table for the, <laughs> for the Yankees. So uh, anytime you can steal potential guys off of their plate and have them, you know, stay put. That's a good thing. And I hope that they can uh, wrap up Bryce Harper to a nice 25-year deal or something like that. I'd like to see him stay in in that uniform forever so he doesn't wear pinstripes. Or, I mean, he could come to the Red Sox, too. That would be all right with me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, that'd be cool. I'm <laughs> not going to not gonna say I'd hate that. Um, 
So interesting depth guy and certainly somebody who could potentially come into play um, if the Red Sox do end up trading one of their catchers this year. And that's certainly a possibility. Um, Sandy Leone would obviously be the guy to fill in uh, initially, but down the road, this is somebody who could profile as a backup catcher, I think. Yeah, probably you probably want him more as a third catcher, but um, he could be a backup catcher in, in a dire situation. All right, so last two guys I want to talk about are two starting pitchers, uh, both at AA Portland right now, uh, Justin Haley and Aaron Wilkerson. Uh, Haley so far has pitched to a 2.37 ERA with a 125 whip, uh, and Wilkerson's been even better with a 2.08 ERA and a .88 whip. Um, any chance to see these guys, and what are, what are your expectations going forward for these two? I mean – they're not huge prospects for the Red Sox, but to perform this well at Double A, that does say a lot because Double A is certainly the biggest jump in the minor leagues. Yeah, so um, I mean, I think they'll definitely both be in Pawtucket soon. Um, I think Wilkerson already got a start in Pawtucket, and then he got, went back down to Portland. Um, but yeah, I think they're both pretty similar. Um, organizational arms, maybe middle relievers, six or seven starters on playoff teams, but. Um, not guys that jump off the page, but um, important pieces to have if you're going to make a playoff run in a long season. Um, I think Haley's probably a little more has a little more upside. I know that he was pretty great in the Arizona Fall League last year, and he's kept that going this year, so that's encouraging. Maybe he can stick as a back of the rotation kind of guy, but I think more likely would be them either being starting pitching depth or middle relief options, which. It's fine for guys with their pedigree. Um, you'll take that. Yeah, Haley is a big dude too. He's six five, two thirty. So uh, he's got a little bit of a little bit of power there, and seems to be a a pretty intriguing piece. Um, as far as uh, Wilkerson, he's been able to succeed at a pretty high level over the past couple of seasons. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at his numbers right now. Uh, well over a hundred and some odd innings over two years, uh, with an ERA under three, uh, yeah, over, over the course of two levels. So, um, certainly a place, a piece I think could play out of the bullpen, like you said. Yeah, I mean sometimes those arms work out. Um, a lot of times those numbers are a little deceiving, but every once in a while they translate to the majors, and you get a guy who comes out of nowhere. Um, so maybe he's that guy. I wouldn't necessarily bet on it, but uh, stranger things have happened. Yep, and he did make. Uh, Carson Sestouli's, uh five most compelling fringe prospects list several oh, times go. for uh, Fangraphs. So uh, take that for what it's worth. But uh, Sestouli does Wookie some was, pretty good stuff. Wookie Bess was on that list too, right? He was, yeah. Oh, there you go. So, uh, the next sir, Wookie Bess confirmed. Yep. The, you, you, know, you know things are going well for the Sox when we get – as deep as to talk about guys like Aaron Wilkerson. So we haven't had a whole lot to complain about. Your Boston Red Sox are first place. Uh, with that, um, we are uh, signing off, but uh, you can find us uh, here and all of the episodes that we've done so far um, on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, please log on to iTunes and give us a review too. If you subscribe to us there, uh, let us know what you think of the show, anything you'd like to hear. Uh, Matt, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Red Sox underscore thoughts. All right, and you can find me on uh, Twitter at, at DevJake. 
Uh, for Matt Collins, this is Jake Devereaux saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>